Look around, what do you see? Cars, lots of them. And guess what? They're probably on Auto Trader. Whether you're into timeless classics or the latest trends, did somebody say solar-powered, eco-friendly, vegan, leather-wrapped, aromatherapy-scented, disco ball-equipped, self-driving car? If you see it on the road, you can likely find it on Auto Trader. Big cars, small cars, blue cars, new cars, used cars, electric cars, and one day, maybe even flying cars. With millions of options to choose from, buying a car becomes a whole lot easier. See it. Find it. Auto Trader. It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and we're just a couple of dudes yakking it up about packaging waste, because this is Stuff You Should Know. Let's go. Yeah, I... Uh, it's always fun, even after all these years, to just sort of not know what's going to come out of your mouth at the beginning of an episode. Same here. Um, oh, like as yourself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think this is a nice little addendum, or not addendum, but just a, in the same bucket as our recent bottled water episode. And um, we did one on littering, and the ultra-processed foods episode all touched on this, too. Yeah, and also, of course, recycling and landfills, and... I just I love uh, at the end of our whole career we're gonna have these lovely buckets of content and this is one I'm most proud of our sort of environmental bucket. Yeah, it's good stuff. What about our civics lessons bucket? <laughs> sure, those are great. Okay. Like uh, how to do a will and stuff like that. No, no, no. like uh, why gerrymandering is horrible. Oh, oh, thing. sure. Yeah, those are great too. Um, yeah, but these recycling ones are great. And true so, crime? Oh, forget about it. Because <laughs> you know we're basically a true crime yeah, podcast. Who doesn't right? love that? <laughs> so uh, we're talking today about packaging waste. And if you are alive today in 2022 uh, or the future, if you're listening to this in the future, mm. hello, future, um, you are probably pretty well aware that we have a lot of packaging. We yeah. use a lot of packaging to put stuff in. Like I remember buying a bottle of Crown Royal years and years ago mm -hmm. at the liquor store, and they put it in a paper bag. Yeah, when you leave. thought it was the fanciest liquor. Totally. <laughs> and you and you would leave with the paper bag and take it home, and uh -huh. you would pull the box of Crown Royal out of the paper bag. You'd pull the velvet bag that the Crown Royal was in out of the box, mm -hmm. and then you'd pull the bottle out of the velvet bag, and then finally, after you unscrewed the cap, you could get to what you were after all along, which was the delicious Crown Royal. Right. And you would put your bag of weed in the velvet bag, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. you would go to the Motley Crue concert. That's right. With your little <laughs> 90s bowl, the little brass bowl. That's right. And hey, this is not to disparage Crown Royal because uh, they have been uh, friendly enough to send us their delicious rye. Over oh, yeah, over and over again. They really took care of us. Remember, they gave us those bags that were monogrammed. That's right. So, yeah, no, not not anything to disparage on Crown Royal, but it's it, it always struck me, even back then, like, this is a lot of packaging, and how necessary is this? And we finally reached the point where the rest of society is caught up to me mm -hmm. and are asking these questions now. And the answer that we seem to be coming up with is, a lot of this stuff is totally unnecessary, and the stuff that is necessary, we have to learn to make better and reuse better because we are awash in garbage. And here in America, it's kind of tough to see unless you drive past the landfill because we don't litter like we used to. But what we do is we dump our stuff either in landfills or else we export it to other less developed countries to use them as our landfills, which is really morally uncool, you know? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and it's funny, I just noticed the other day, uh, the very popular Binax now COVID at home COVID tests, mm -hmm. uh, COVID came through our house again. We all got it, everybody. We're all Me great. We're all fine. Good. But uh, PSA, it's still out there. Be careful. Mm -hmm. uh, but long, long and short of it is we were taking a lot of these tests 
over the course of two weeks, and they are smaller now. I had to order some more, and they are now, I don't know if you've used these, they're not in that giant long box. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, is there only one in there now? And no, they just didn't need that big box. It's like the old CD long box. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and they came in the mail. I was like, oh, well, good. This thing is probably not half the size, but probably close to it, because there was no reason for those two COVID tests just to be flopping around with all that real estate. Yeah. So good for them. Yeah, good for you, Binax. Did you get them in the mail because Joe Biden sent them to you? <laughs> Joe Biden? I did uh, send off for the the free one from the government, but uh, I also had to, you know, we, we just keep a stock in the house because we like to just make sure we're keeping everyone safe. Definitely. And you have a bowl full of condoms by your front door, too. <laughs> Exactly. Except ours is like, uh, give a penny, take a penny. You take a condom, you got to leave a, oh, a, a condom of equal or <laughs> lesser size. What did they say? What am I they, doing? They used to call them like Coney Island whitefishes, remember? <laughs> oh, that's right. Used condoms Man, in New York. Yeah. Oh, God. Man, you need to clean that bowl out, Chuck. Oh, can we talk about packaging waste? Yes, let's talk about this. Because get this, in the United States... of municipal solid waste, that's everything. That includes old washing machines for Pete's sake. 28% of municipal solid waste is packaging, containers, stuff that the stuff we're actually buying comes in or is shipped in or is transported to the store in. 28%, right? So if we can do something about that, if we can reduce the amount of packaging or make the packaging we use more recyclable, that would have an enormous impact on our landfill footprint just out of the gate. Right. Uh, And we do a decent, you know, I don't even know decent is such a a term that it's all over the place according to who you are. So I don't even want to use it. Mm -hmm. But we have put a dent in this packaging waste with our recycling, at least compared to the past. Maybe that's the safest way to say it. Yeah, we've definitely gotten better. Because in 1960, about a tenth of packaging waste was recycled. Uh, 2018 was the most recent year we have. We're up to 54% of packaging waste being recycled. But that still means that there, uh, let me see here, plastic, 10 million, what is this, tons? Yes. 10 million tons of plastic still end up in the landfills. Out of 15 million total. Yeah, 7 million out of 12 million of wood. Uh, Aluminum, you would think, that's the easiest thing to recycle. Everyone throws their aluminum cans in recycling, right? Not true. About half, 1 million aluminum cans end up in landfills Mm -hmm. uh, with 2 million total. Uh, Yeah, that's unconscionable. Yeah, Aluminum is, I've seen it described as infinitely recyclable. You can just keep making the same aluminum can over and over again if you'll just recycle it rather than divert it to landfill. That's pretty bad. Two million or one million landfill out of two million. On the other end, cardboard, we're really, really good at recycling cardboard. People recycle it. It's also easy to recycle. So it gets recycled. Out of 42 million tons of paper and cardboard that was generated for packaging alone, just packaging everybody. I'm not including like, you know, um, uh, construction paper from elementary schools. None of that. This is all just packaging. Mm -hmm. In 2018, in the U.S. alone, out of 42 million, only 5 million of that, 5 million tons ended up in the landfill. So that's really, really good. So cardboard's not the problem as far as like packaging and shipping and all of that stuff goes, because a lot of it, most of it gets recycled. The big problem isn't even aluminum cans. The problem, Chuck, is plastic. Yeah, plastic's a big problem. And a lot of this, again, overlaps with our bottled water up. Uh, but and we'll talk about plastic all throughout this episode. Yeah, and when when you think plastic, that's usually, especially when you're talking about plastic packaging waste. Yeah. You think bottled waters or something like that, mm-hmm. or water bottles. Um, but it can be any kind of single-use plastic where it can be like a Dorito wrapper. That's made of plastic. Styrofoam packing peanuts. That's a kind of plastic, too. It's a polystyrene. Um, plastic shows up in all sorts of other ways in other places, especially with plastic or packaging. And the other thing that you have to remember is this. Think about how light plastic is, okay? Ten, 10 million tons of plastic. Yeah. That is so much plastic in real terms, in real life terms, out there in landfills or in the environment, even worse, that we're, we're throwing away every year, every single year. Yeah, it's 
really unnerving when you get a product that is shrink wrapped in plastic that <laughs> doesn't need to be. It's, you know? Yeah, I blame the Tylenol poisoner for that. Yeah, but w- really? Remember, they, they were the ones who triggered um, tamper-proof packaging and, like, putting everything in, like, shrink wrap and stuff. Yeah, but is a tape measure is going to be tampered with? I, you know I what I'm would, saying? But I think that that's an extension of that impulse that was originally created by the, the Tylenol poisoner. That tamper-proof packaging got extended to everything. Yeah, I guess so. And I know some of it is to protect the thing. But, like, let's say you go out and get, like, a screwdriver set. Sure. They're not going to sell you eight screwdrivers in a little, like, vinyl bag. Like, they sell you eight screwdrivers in one of those huge, square, you know, molded plastic things that are, A, impossible to open. Mm-hmm. So they're annoying. But it's just, oh, it just drives me crazy. Drives have me crazy. Tried, have you tried practicing opening them? <laughs> well, Before you, get a, you need the screwdriver? <laughs> sure, you got to get a, uh, like, a, a, a carpet knife. What what brand do you use? Carpet knife? No, but I mean your your screwdriver. When you're buying that big box of screwdrivers, what brand are you buying? I, I feel like I'm being set up for something that I don't understand, so I'm just gonna go ahead and say, <laughs> Craftsman. <laughs> okay, no, that's right. It was there, it was a rhetorical question. There's no wrong answer, but I I don't have a problem opening and closing the plastic box with Dewalt brand tools. Well. <laughs> I got a lot of DeWalt stuff. I love DeWalt. I do too. In fact, most of my major power t- tools are DeWalt. But, you know, I'm I'm just remembering, I, I shouldn't have said screwdrivers. I should have said, like, wrenches because the wrenches I bought, the wrench set came like that. Mm-hmm. I actually found a screwdriver set where it had 12 screwdrivers in, and it was plastic, but it was in one little plastic screw lid container. Nice. And it seemed a lot better than the other alternative, at least. Yeah, the the next best step after that is there's just some dude who hangs out at the store that carries them home in ar- his arms and yes. dumps them onto your floor and then leaves. Like that kind of packaging. Is yeah, the, he the opens his idea. overcoat and they're all all the screwdrivers are hanging there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you just take your pick. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the history before we break, I think, because okay. uh, I always think of Emily's uh, grandparents, Charlie, who has left us, and then Mary, who is still chugging along at 101 years old, believe it or nice. not. Uh, they didn't have garbage collection for almost their entire lives in rural Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't want to pay for it, and they didn't need it because they reused, recycled. And when I say reused, they really reused. They composted. Um, they did all the old things because they're that old school Depression era generation mm-hmm. to where you appreciate things like that and you don't want to waste. And that's the way it, that used to just be the norm. People would buy and ship things in barrels and wooden boxes and they would reuse those and yeah. glass bottles that they would reuse. They would wrap up cheese and meats and things and cloth forever that you would reuse. And then eventually like butcher paper. Uh, and that was just, they didn't even have regular garbage pickup until about the mid-1800s here. Right. Because, again, they didn't need it. I mean, yeah, somebody sent you something in a wooden crate, you'd build an addition on your house. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was like that. Like, they would use glass bottles, and then if the glass bottle broke, they would fix it. And I was like, how would they fix it? And apparently there's something called um, uh, water water glass. Uh-huh. It's sodium silicate. And it's a spreadable kind of glass where if you heat it up, it basically fills in all the cracks and it's good as new. I wonder if that's how they do, I should ask Emily's dad, the uh, window chips. Oh, I wonder too. Emily used to do that for a little while because her dad has uh, Seneca glass if you're in near Akron, Ohio. Nice. That's the place to get your windows replaced. Sure. But Emily did that for a summer. She fixed uh, glass chips. Yeah, you should definitely ask her that. Yeah. So um, so we didn't have garbage pickup because we didn't need it because everybody was reusing stuff. Food waste, like you said, they were composting it or they would just throw it out to for the livestock, the hogs, the chickens, mm-hmm. whatever. They would eat the whatever food waste. And I would guess that they had much less food waste than we have today. But again, yeah. th- there wasn't much need for garbage collection. That's not to say there wasn't garbage. I saw in the 18th century in New York, they built a pier in the East River purpose-built to dump garbage yeah. into the East River. That's from. the so downside. Not like, <laughs> not like they weren't doing it, but it was just so minuscule compared to the amount of waste that we generate today that it is uh, essentially negligible. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 1856 is kind of a fun little fact to keep in your pocket. Uh, Corrugated paper, what would become corrugated cardboard, was invented in 1856 in England uh, because of those big tall hats to keep those things stiff. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. I think so, too. But then it became a thing. Well, yeah, those slowly started replacing the wooden crates, right, for shipping. So you couldn't build an addition on your house anymore. That's right. But it was a lot lighter. It was a lot easier. It used up a lot less coal on the ship to move across the sea. Um, it was kind of a step up for sure. Um, and then Nabisco was the first one to start selling single-serve individual packaged foods. Boo. All the way back in 1890. Yeah. Uh, and it, it makes sense, you know, in, in, in one way. But if you, you know, start caring about the environment, it makes like zero sense whatsoever. Um, But they were the ones who kicked all that off. Yeah, I found that kids, and I remember this about myself, are very into those things. I think just because they're small. Like, I remember being obsessed with the kids who could afford the little individual Pringles. (laughs) Not the ones they sell in the store now, but they used to sell these little plastic peel-away top Pringle servings. Oh, yeah. And uh, the kids in school that had those, I was so jealous of. The rich kids. The rich kids. Yeah. Uh, I had my Charles Chips. Ten, <laughs> right? And my you Tupperware. Make a basket out of your shirt <laughs> and carry it around school till lunch. Uh, but Kellogg's, you mentioned, uh, or maybe you didn't, but they were the first uh, cereal box, obviously, in 1906. Mm-hmm. And then uh, beer cans were steel originally. They started in 1936. Thank you, Coors. Mm-hmm. Then they switched to aluminum in '59. But uh, and this is very cool when you go look at an old like I think Smokey and the Bandit even had these where you had to use a can opener to open a beer back in the day. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. They should bring that back. The pull tab's better because you have to keep a can opener on you, you know? Well, and the pull tabs, even though they were bad for the environment, you could uh, make an emergency phone call at a telephone booth if you were Matthew Broderick. Oh, really? You could use that as a (laughs) a fake coin, a slug? No. In in war games, Matthew Broderick knew this trick where he unscrewed the receiver where Mm -hmm. you talk into it Mm -hmm. and then like I don't think it's true at all. I think they literally just made this up for the movie and used a pull tab to make it like an electric connection and like kind of hot wire the phone. Just give it a dial tone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure it was not true. I got gotcha. you. But used to see those all over the place, the the pull tabs all over the place on the ground. Yeah, I was up in my attic the other day um, and there was a an old pull tab, old Milwaukee can. It's funny. Like, how old is this? Yeah, it's funny when you find those these days. Well, now I know it doesn't go back any any earlier than 1963. <laughs> That's right. So... Um, like we said, they were using dumps in, in horrible places. Like uh, the they would use wetlands back in the day to dump trash in. Apparently, Boston's Back Bay mm-hmm. was a wetland that was originally a garbage dump. And if you've ever been to Back Bay, that's fairly ironic because it's one of the more well-heeled parts of Boston today. Mm-hmm. They built up a real she-she um, area that has like an anthropology and everything on it. Yeah, and we should do a, an entire episode, I think, on Fresh Kills. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is basically what Staten Island used to be almost entirely. Well, that's not true. But it was a 2,200-acre landfill uh, on Staten Island after, I believe, after World War II. Yeah, 1948. And I just, it's such a rabbit hole. I started looking into Fresh Kills and I had to stop. And I was like, we just need to make this an episode because it was a remarkably large it was the largest one in the world, largest landfill, and uh, they're reclaiming it. And it's by thirty. I'm I'm sorry, by twenty thirty eight. It's going to be finished as a, as a park, Fresh yeah, Kills Park. A, I've seen some of the artists' rendering of it. It's going to look really neat, very peaceful. Yeah, it would be a good episode, though. I think it's interesting history. Okay, deal. So those those dumps that we started to to generate, like every city starting in the 20th century, you know, really started to need more and more dumps and more and more space for landfills. Um, and it grew because our single-use packaging grew. Mm-hmm. We just started throwing stuff away. And if, in our littering episode, I think we specifically said that the um, plastic garbage bag people Mm-hmm. basically got together and said, we need to teach everybody to start throwing things away. They keep reusing this plastic stuff. So they basically created a public 
uh, information campaign to teach everybody to throw stuff in the trash and to take their trash out to the garbage can every night and to do this every single day. They taught America to throw stuff away, which is just so villainous. But that really kind of was the beginning around the middle of the last century of our obsession with single-use um, packaging, basically. Yeah, I think that Glad bag first came around the late 60s. And then in the mid, just before that, in the mid sixties, the, the, the grocery bag, the little light groceries bag that Mm -hmm. uh, has been such a problem in the world uh, that came around in 65. But uh, if you don't remember those when you were like, like our age and you were a kid in the seventies and eighties, it's because they, people still generally used paper sacks. They were really slow to catch on those plastic bags. Uh, But eventually in 1985, there was a conference of the Society of Plastic Engineers, and they, someone stood up on a stage and said, hey, these things are $24 per thousand, uh, paper bags are $30 per thousand, and that changed everything, six, $6, yeah. Yeah, they were really working at the Plastic Grocery Sack, sack Council. That was a thing. <laughs> in 1986, they got their hands on the LA Times and said, hey, make sure you tell everybody that we've concluded plastic bags can be reused in more than 17 different ways. They said it can be used as a wrap for frozen foods, a okay. jogger's windbreaker, Come or on. a beach bag. <laughs> and then I'm going to go on. I'll bet the other, uh, what, 14 are like, and a library bag, and a school bag, and a school lunch bag, and a work lunch bag. Right. You can uh, sacrifice a child with them. <laughs> right. Well, actually, yeah. That was the thing. They had to teach Americans these things are really dangerous. Yeah. And there's don't a famous put it over your photo. Head. Right. There's a famous photo of uh, a plastics researcher with, a, I think, a dry cleaning bag over his head trying to take a breath. And it really <laughs> got, the, got the point across for sure. Uh, also, though, from the very – not from the very beginning, but once they caught on uh, in the mid-'80s, people – did start kind of rallying against them in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a 500,000 member uh, group called the General Federation of Women's Clubs who in 86 said, uh, no, these things are clearly not going to be good for the environment, so let's let's not use them. And that was 86, a long time ago. It was, and they got absolutely nowhere because I saw um, about a decade ago they estimated that between – 500 billion and 1.5 trillion plastic bags are consumed globally each year at a rate of more than a million a minute. Wow. So they got nowhere. But there have been some successes. Um, McDonald's was the first actually to um, pioneer single-use packaging for food. And that meant that they didn't have to have dishwashers at their restaurants. They didn't have to have waiters to clear away plates. And within, I think, 40 years... They finally were like, okay, we'll give up our foam packaging, which, I mean, there are a few things more nostalgic for me than looking at pictures of the old colored, like, foam packaging that McDonald's yeah, used to use. Yeah, that, that blue. It, it's McDonald's yeah. foam packaging blue. There's no other yeah, way to describe it. Definitely. But the McDLT was the breaking point for everybody. They're like, this <laughs> yeah. is just, this is too much. You hot side this. hot, cool side cool. That's right. So that was the end of that. But you know, it, we still have a plastic problem. All right, so let's take a break. Uh, We'll come back and we'll talk about Amazon right after this. Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa, But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode sponsored by Amazon. <laughs> well, uh, we got to talk about it because especially, I mean, Amazon has been shipping things for a long time, but especially I think when COVID uh, took over, people really, really, really started getting a lot of things delivered that they used to routinely go to stores for. Mm-hmm. And um, they have changed the way packaging works in the, the world, and especially the United States. Uh, there was a report by a group called Oceana uh, that found that worldwide Amazon generated almost 600 million pounds of plastic packaging waste mm-hmm. in 2020, and that um, almost 24 million pounds of that ended up in waterways and oceans. And right. uh, Amazon said, oh, that's a miscalculation. <laughs> right. They didn't show their math. but they, So that's just waterways and oceans. That's not landfill stuff. Um, and there's, I mean, there's a significant amount of what's called plastic film uh, used to make those puffy air pillows that they use instead of styrofoam peanuts, which yeah. in a lot of ways are, are much preferable to styrofoam peanuts. But there's way better alternatives to even those um, shipping pillows, too, um, because it's made of plastic film, which is the same type of plastic that those plastic grocery bags are made from. And they're really hard to recycle. It takes a special facility. So if you ever get those plastic pillow like shippers Mm -hmm. in the mail from Amazon and you have your plastic grocery bags from Publix or whatever grocery store you go to and you save those and you take them to your grocery store and put them in the the plastic bag recycling thing, they will actually go take them and recycle them and turn them into useful things like um, 
composite decking for your house or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's a good yeah, tip. So it is, but but just don't don't just throw it away. And also don't use them to hold your recyclables and put them in your recycling container because that that whole bag of recyclables will get thrown out because yeah. those things will screw up the normal recycling process so badly. Another good tip. Uh, I got another good tip for you. Uh, here in Atlanta, we have a place called Charm, uh, the center for oh, hard, yeah. hard to recycle materials. And Charm is one of our favorite places to go to because you pull into Charm and there are all these people in this huge parking lot and all these various stations to help you recycle anything you can think of. Mm -hmm. It can be your shredded documents. It can be car batteries. It can be paint cans. It can be your old uh, computer desktop. Uh, they, they recycle almost anything you can think of. And I guarantee you, there are places in every major city and probably even a lot of smaller towns that have a charm-like place. Mm -hmm. uh, and all you got to do is just save that stuff, throw it in your car, take it over there, and they'll take yeah. care of it for you. Yes. It's great. So, um, like, Amazon's easy to pick on because they're, they're shipping so much stuff. They use up so much material for shipping and packaging and, and um, cushioning and all of that. Um, but they're also easy to pick on because if you look at what they're doing in other countries, it shows like they they could totally revise stuff. Whenever they're forced to, they they find innovative yeah. ways to replace that stuff with more sustain sustainable packaging. Yeah, they don't just say like India says, "Hey, you can't use uh, this kind of tape anymore and these kinds of." Uh, packing peanuts. Mm -hmm. They don't say, oh, well, I guess we're not going to ship to India anymore. <laughs> right. They figure it out and they just don't implement those policies across the entire company, which is uh, maddening. Yeah, which we'll see. India has really taken a, maybe the world's leadership stance on single-use plastics and dealing with it as a, a country. Germany's following suit. So Amazon's saying, okay, well, we'll start doing the same thing in Germany. But it, rather than just being like, okay, it makes sense for us to just do it for every country. If if they're not making money doing that in other countries, they're going to hold out until they're legally forced to. Right. Or until enough countries require them to, that that's just what they use across the board because then it is cheaper than making right. two different kinds depending on where they're shipping to. Right. Uh, those meal kit services that everyone loves so much, uh, this is a bit of a mixed bag because mm – -hmm. On the surface, you look at their packaging and the fact that some of these boxes have up to two dozen individual packages of things. Uh, and then you're talking about the packaging, you know, the big box that it comes in and yeah. the smaller foam box to insulate it. And then these ice packs that a lot of times have chemicals that are very hard to recycle. Um, but I did some digging in and there are a lot of companies doing a lot better job. Um, one thing that they do tout, which I think is true, is that they really reduce a lot of food waste. And so what you want to do is look at the entire environmental footprint mm -hmm. of an operation versus just buying groceries at a grocery store. Uh, and, you know, it kind of comes out even in some cases. Some companies are better than others. Uh, I did see that Blue Apron has about 85% recyclable packaging and drain-safe uh, ice packs um, uh -huh. that you can just, you know, drain yourself and then recycle that package. So right. some are better than others, but, you know, if, if, if you care about that kind of thing and you like meal kits, I would encourage you to investigate the services that speak to you environmentally. Yeah, one 2019 study found that Blue Apron specifically had 33% less emissions for, yeah. uh, from the same meal that, that you would buy at a grocery store. Yeah, and they haven't sponsored us in a long time, so. No, no. This no. is not payola. <laughs> right. So there's actually a pretty big widespread push to innovate new packaging materials that are easier to recycle, that are made from more recycled materials, that are uh, made from sustainable materials, that are easily composted. And there's, you know, some competitors are better than others. Some are already proving themselves as probably not the way we want to go, but some other ones are like, wow, it's a really good idea and we should figure it out. Yeah, we talked about corn and quite a bit in the bottled water app uh, because they can take corn they can make it into a plastic. Uh, it's called PLA, uh, polylactic acid, right? Sure. And it's a plastic resin. It is uh, not petroleum-based. It can be composted, but, and I think we said this in the water bottle of water one too, 
Um, it's not compostable as in like, great, I'll just buy corn bottles and throw them in my compost bin. Mm -hmm. You can't do that in your backyard. It's got to be like industrial <laughs> composting, which is still good, but you have to take it to a industrial composting facility or be involved in a program that will do that for you because there are those out there too. Yeah. And then anything made with corn, they also have um, corn based packing peanuts, um, which really they should figure out how to make them from peanuts, don't you think? Just to make it fully appropriate. Or just put in popcorn. So the That's spongy. Yeah, you and then <laughs> everyone nice. could just have a snack. You could eat it. Yeah. And you'd be like, this popcorn's not very good, but it's sustainable. I'll reuse it. The problem is, is anything you're making from corn, whether it's plastic or those packing peanuts, is you're growing corn and you're diverting yeah. it from the food system um, to other purposes. And I remember we were all about ethanol back in the day. Um, corn-based ethanol, and, and it just, for the same reason, it didn't pan out because we should be using food um, cropland for growing food, not for growing plastic. Right. Uh, mushrooms is a really interesting alternative. Uh, Mycelium-based packaging. It's been around for a little bit since about the mid-2000s, and uh, it seems like there's almost nothing mushrooms can't do mm. and fungi except get me to eat them. Uh, but there's this really cool documentary about mushrooms that uh, Emily and I are going to watch soon that a couple of friends have told us about. Uh, it's, it's sort of a wonder, uh, not product, but species? Um, yeah. Food? No. Thing? I think it's a kingdom. <laughs> okay. A wonder kingdom. That's even better. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> I like that a lot. I could see that on a cape. Uh, but they uh, they have found that they can use it as an alternative to styrofoam and mm -hmm. even, even other plastics is for, like, uh, cushioning things. Yeah, and what's cool is you can grow fungi uh, sustainably on, like, um, agricultural refuse, right, that, that's being composted. You could grow your, your fungi into exactly the shape that you want. That's amazing. Yeah, like um, our friend Addison Rex, who runs Wine Spies, when you get a box from him, have you ever noticed, like, how is this this cushioning exactly the right size for this large bottle? And then next to it is this small bottle. And uh, I'm not quite sure, but it's possible it's mycelium packaging material, and you can grow it like that. The only thing that I saw that would be problematic, it seems like at this point, is uh, scalability uh, and then lead time to produce. Because I saw it can take like seven days to grow a container. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I'll have to ask Addison. I owe him a phone call. I tried to ask him, and he he hasn't texted me back yet. <laughs> That's what I said. Forget that phone call. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thank you for sticking up for me, Chip. Uh, algae is another interesting alternative. There was a contest just this year uh, that offered over a million bucks for developing plastic alternatives, and five of the eight finalists uh, were algae or seaweed-based. Yeah, by the way, that contest was um, created by Tom Ford. The fashion designer? Yeah. Really? I love that guy, man. Does he make algae clothes? I guess he's going to from now on. Interesting. But he, yeah, it was it was straight up for, you know, to find an alternative to plastic, but it was a Tom Ford prize. Um, and what did you say, five of the eight finalists? Said yeah. Seaweed, seaweed or algae. And I was looking at one of them. There's a company from Berkeley, I think, called Sway. Mm -hmm. And they um, basically grow seaweed. Like, so automatically you're not using terrestrial cropland. Um, it's also supposedly really restorative to grow seaweed, like off of the coast uh, for ecosystems and things like that. And then also when you grow and make plastic out of algae, it's really easy to biodegrade. And in some cases you can actually eat it after you're done. Like that, my popcorn peanut idea. Exactly. And this is remarkable. Um, it depends on how far the algae is broken down uh, into the uh, the chemicals that make it up. But uh, some of them, if they want to engineer this, could even retain some uh, like antimicrobial properties. Yes. In the packaging itself, yeah. all natural. The future is in fungi and algae. I feel like wouldn't algae or seaweed like a fuel source too? Like yes. Yeah. They have not figured it out yet, but yes, it's some, some sort of byproduct. You can raise algae that will create some sort of fuel, a biofuel. I don't remember much about it. Very interesting. So there's another way to make all this work, and it seems to be figuring out how to make stuff more recyclable, how to make packages more sustainable on a big scale. 
And a lot of people have concluded that that is not going to happen until countries and states and cities start requiring that be the case from, from manufacturers. And I say we take a break and then come back and talk about that. How about that? Let's do it. hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa. But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so you said that there is a better way forward, but uh, as we can tell from the practices of some uh, large-scale shipping companies, unless they are forced to, then they're not going to make those changes because it costs them uh, a little bit of money. Right. Um, 
obviously the you know we could talk all day about going back in time and doing things like we used to as far as reusing things and there are some companies that are doing some cool stuff i know that uh, there are a couple of like cleaning product, home cleaning product companies where you buy the glass bottle with the spray tops and mm-hmm. you you mix your own like countertop spray and stuff like toilet spray mm-hmm. and uh, you get these little packets and you keep your glass bottles. And there are companies out there doing things like this, but that is not likely to catch on countrywide because people love just grabbing the thing off the grocery shelf and buying their plastic bottle spray. Uh so that what it takes and what you teased before we broke was it it's going to take either people demanding it or more probably the law saying you have to do it. Yeah, you 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 want to say that just consumers demanding it like you're saying would would make a change, but there's not enough people doing that, right? So you want to instead turn that ire to your elected officials and say, hey, you need to do something about this. And it's happened in some places. And it's all based on something called the polluter pays principle, which dates all the way back to 1972 and basically says if you're the one who's manufacturing this plastic bag that gets thrown away in a river, it should be up to you to, to deal with that. Like you should have to factor that into your production costs. And uh, it's not to punish anybody, but it's to do what's called internalizing the negative externalities. So negative externality is, you know, that plastic bag we all pay because of that pollution that breaks down the environment and affects the food chain. That's a negative externality that's not included in the production cost of that that plastic bag. And what the this this kind of polluter pays principle says is we need to figure out how to include that in the cost so that the people who are creating this this waste are the ones who are actually paying for it in the end rather than the rest of society. Right. Uh, and that became the basis for what's called extended producer responsibility, EPR, which means you ship something to a person and you don't just go, well, then, uh, no, that thing that you package is still your responsibility as a company th- across the entire life cycle of that product. And when it came in is mm-hmm. the manufacturer should be responsible for, for whatever it is, uh, that they're putting out into the world. Uh, there's something called the, uh, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, mm-hmm. uh, that was established, I think, in 72. Right. And they put out a report uh, that said that 10 OECD governments have some kind of legislation in place for extended producer responsibility. And uh, the U.S. is not one of those, correct? No, it wasn't. And that was back in 96 that they released that report. So that's pretty impressive. But we actually are familiar with them to some extent. If you've ever taken your paint to a special center um, or your oil, uh, your used car oil, you took it back to like the auto parts store or something like that, you were probably engaging in some sort of extended producer responsibility where the the company that made that oil um, is is responsible for making sure that it gets recycled and paying for it to be recycled. That's just because some state or city said that that's the law and they have to do that if they want to do right. business there. Yeah. But what they're trying to figure out with extended producer responsibility laws today is to include all packaging, all shipping material, all of that waste, figuring out how to make that fall into an extended producer responsibility model. And that's proving challenging, like you said, especially in the United States. Yeah, I think uh, India has a pretty good idea in creating a kind of competition among companies. Um, They require that a percentage of plastic produced by any manufacturer uh, ends up getting recycled. Like, it's a requirement. And if you mm-hmm. do better and if you overperform, you get credits, basically, and you can sell those credits to other companies who are underperforming. So right. all of a sudden, you have this competition going on where a company is manufacturing something and they're really incentivized to... Because not only are they are they getting these credits, but, like, their competition um, potentially is having to pay them money because they're right. underperforming. So that's a really good way to say like, well, get it in gear then because you're paying your competition to take care of your waste for you. Yeah. Do you remember those carbon trading schemes from, you know, back in the 2000 aughts that were kind of big? Like buying carbon offsets? Yeah. yeah same thing. It was they put a cap on carbon emissions and companies that didn't emit as much could sell their credits or their whatever to the other companies that did. And yeah, it's a great idea. So it would make sense to make an extended producer responsibility scheme out of that. But that's that's 
that's how wide open it is. Like people are like, however you could figure it out, that's the stage that we're at, at right now. However you could figure out how to hold people accountable. And we're just, we're just not quite there yet. No, uh, it depends. You know, it's come down to the state level, of course. Uh, in 2021, there was a coalition of states. Uh, the lawmakers got together. They were known as the EPR for Packaging Network. And they, I believe California, Colorado, Hawaii, Maryland, New Hampshire, New York, Oregon, Vermont, and Washington all got together to introduce bills uh, that, you know, basically to give some teeth and legislation to this kind of thing. And mm -hmm. I think that Maine passed one, a really big one that saw that basically it was a fund that uh, manufacturers had to pay into. So based on how much they were, uh, like what kind of packaging they produced, they would pay into this fund. Uh, depending on how recyclable it was, and it was like right. a sliding scale, and that would that fund was then used to help municipalities um, manage that packaging material. Right, and then California saw this and said, "Hold my kombucha," right. <laughs> and they passed definitely the strictest EPR packaging law in the country back in I think two thousand twenty-two. Uh -huh. Also known as 2022. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. But under this law, by 2032, in 10 years, all packaging in the state has to be either recyclable or compostable. That's a huge leap forward. Oh, yeah. Packaging has to be reduced in total by 25%. Great. 65% of all packaging has to be recycled after use. And you might say, well, wait a minute. I mean, like, how, how would the companies make that happen? California said, figure it out. Make it happen. And you, uh, packaging, packaging industry, you have to create a, a, an organization that basically oversees this and makes sure yeah. that industries doing business in, in California are recycling 65% of their stuff. Um, even after they sell it to somebody, you have to figure out a way to make sure that the consumer out there who has your Dorito bag in their hand is going to recycle it. Yeah, here's the problem, though, in America is – Half of the country will say, well, yeah, but every single penny of that is going to be passed down to the consumer because the company isn't going to take the hit. So they'll just raise prices on products, and then that'll lead to inflation, and it comes out of our pocket. So we'd rather just throw everything in the trash because I don't even see what happens to it after it leaves my house anyway. So, I mean, that's a really good point. I don't know if it's actually how it would pan out. You'd think that, that, of course, a company would pass along that cost. But I think there's plenty of people out there who are like, you know, I'd pay a little more for something that I knew was going to be recycled. Right. Or like, what's the that cost? I knew was going to, Is yeah. it pennies? But I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And the thing is, is when more and more of these laws come about, companies are going to start creating subdivisions in their research and development divisions that are figuring out new packaging that are going to like follow these laws. And then, I mean, if we sick industry on a problem like sustainable packaging and we make it worth their while because they're required to figure this out by law, it's going to get solved pretty quick, I would guess. And then, yes, at first, products probably will be more expensive than they are pre, you know, the pre-passing or inaction of these laws. But after a while, those prices are going to come down because those technologies will have been developed and will have been deployed widely and they'll be ubiquitous. And now all of a sudden, all of our shipping and packaging material will be able to be composted at home or 100% recyclable, or will just turn into pixie dust in your hands the moment <laughs> you finish that last Dorito. Well, we're in a situation, though, where we're so divided politically in this country. We are having a hard time even getting together on something as easily uh, and obviously bad as plastic grocery bags. You know, yeah. a lot of states have stepped up and said, you know what, you can't use these anymore. You just can't use plastic grocery bags. Or, you know what, if you want to use one, if you insist, then pay a nickel for it so we can at least take care of the recycling. Uh, yeah. And then there are a lot of states in this country that pass preemptive bans on the bans. And I looked it up, and there, it's on Ballotpedia.com if you want to look at mm -hmm. a list of them all. But there are a lot of states that are like, you know what, we're going to pass a law that says there will never be a law that bans plastic bags. The, the, yeah. the citizens of the state of North Dakota have a right to use those plastic bags forever. I wrote an expletive on my printout after <laughs> that line. It's so maddening. I mean, and these are the same people who are screaming about states' rights, you know? It's just disgusting, dude. 
A ban on a ban, a preemptive ban on a ban for a municipality is just gross. Yeah. Unless, of course, it's, you know, they're preventing discrimination or whatever. Right. <laughs> I guess there's places for it or not. But, yeah, I, I guess when it's something that I agree with and they're banning it, then I right. got a problem with it. You know what I mean? Um, with the plastic bags, though, there there always is another side of the coin. Like, obviously, plastic grocery bags are, are, are pretty bad for the environment. But um, they did do some studies in California when they did ban these plastic bags. And it did reduce use of those plastic bags, but they did find that people started buying, like a lot of mm-hmm. people reuse those things for like dog poop or uh, lining trash bins or whatever. Like there's all like little car yeah. trash bins or or uh, bathroom trash bins. Uh, they all of a sudden had to start <laughs> buying the thicker plastic bags to do that right. stuff, which are, are worse for the environment. So, uh, and then, you know, of course people would switch to like a cotton tote bag which is the, far and away like the worst kind of thing that you can get is a cotton tote, apparently. So I saw that compared to plastic bags, just because of the sheer number of plastic bags out there and just the fact that they're petroleum-based and all the emissions that it takes in creating them, that a cotton tote is still better oh, than is plastic it? bags in general. Okay. But if you compare one cotton tote to one plastic bag, yeah, the cotton tote is way worse because there's all sorts of um, pesticides and, and um, industrial fertilizer inputs required. They're, you know, they're, they use forced labor in China, which, su- which supplies the, the world with 25% of its cotton. There's some problems with cotton for sure. And I saw that one study found that a cotton tote would have to be used every day for 54 years to outlive its environmental footprint. Wow. So, yeah, there's problems with cotton totes. The idea is there. It's a good idea, but we've also seen, like, okay, we need to figure out something else. And there's this um, this uh, designer named Anya Heinmarch, who's just an awesome designer. She uses, like, rainbow colors and everything. So I like her stuff. She created a cotton tote back in 2007 or 8 and kind of kicked off the trend of using, you know, reusable shopping bags. Um, and it said, like, I am not a plastic bag. Well, since then, since it's become clear that cotton totes are problematic, she's created uh, uh, the same thing, but it's made out of recycled plastic. Yes. And it says, I am a plastic bag right. on it. That's what, you, that's what you need to seek out. Yeah, for sure. So, you got anything else? I got nothing else. I don't either. And since we talked about Anya Hindmarch, everybody, I think that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this, shall we take a break? Hey guys, thanks for all the quality, enlightening information, humor, and all the joy the podcast brings me and so many others. Is it time for a break? No, not yet. Oh See, no, guys? I know this email. <laughs> That's not that hard, right? I'm not sure what it takes to convince one another to actually defer taking a break, but it's been a fun anticipation game for me for the better part of a year. <laughs> I almost did that today just to sort of give uh, Tony here a little... Little hats off. Little thrill, but mm-hmm. I didn't. Uh, I've listened since 2018, but sometime late last year, it dawned on me I couldn't actually recall either of you turning down taking a break uh, when you offer it up to each other. I think we've done that before. At least once. Yeah. Uh, it's almost always posed as a question, which seems like it's giving your counterpart an option, yet the response is always the same. Not sure if you guys have a pact to never defer, but if you read this out loud, then the beginning part of this email gives me the joy of at least hearing a break question atypical response hmm. uh so thank you for that uh take care keep up the good work and that is from tony uh coasters nice and um the closest Sounds like he- a doo-wop band <laughs> his middle name is and the- <laughs> i saw that coming <laughs> uh the closest you guys have come recently to deferring a break was in the infant formula episode and you had me on edge uh so tony just to let you know we don't have a formula for that per se but we uh we generally shoot for about 45 minutes an episode-ish, mm-hmm. and that would mean the breaks fall around 15 and 30 minutes. Yeah. So we keep an eye on the clock, and there always just seems to be a, a natural sort of organic spot within that rough time frame. Yeah. USDA organic spot to break in for sure. We don't have a pact or anything like that either to, no to defer. But also, can you imagine if one of us was like, and we're about to take a break, so we'll be right back. You know, like the the other one, I think would feel a little bit stepped on. I think so. I know I would. I wouldn't want you to feel stepped on either. So of course we're going to ask one another. You know. Yeah, we don't step on each other. No. And when we do, we edit it out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, well, thanks a lot, Tony and the Coasters. We appreciate that email. It was a good one. Uh, a little mind-boggling, too. Uh, and if you want to boggle our minds like Tony did, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.